gentlemen, to the Deep Foundation Institute's podcast series, Interviews with a Survivor. In today's episode, our hosts, Lucky and Tim, will be talking with Sebastian Lobo Guerrero about his adventures in Colombia. Welcome to DFI's podcast, Common Ground. I'm Tim Siegel with Dan Brown and Associates. I'm a DFI journal editor and committee chair. My co-host is Lucky Nagarajan with Gaikin America Corporation. She's a DFI trustee and committee chair. Hi, Lucky. Hi, Tim. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. Um, our new series uh, for, for our listeners is Interview with a Survivor, where our guests will share the, their feelings, their fears, and their inspirations on their projects that went wrong. Our guest today is Dr. Sebastian Lobo Guerrero. He's got a PhD and he's a professional engineer. He is a well-known, passionate geotechnical engineer with American Geotechnical and Environmental Services Incorporated out of Pittsburgh. He has 20 years experience. Not only that, but he served on local, national, and international fronts. Locally, he's very involved with the Pittsburgh ASCE chapter. Uh, nationally, he's been the chair of a DFI annual committee, and he's a board member on DFI's Anchored Earth Retention Committee. And he's published more than 80 technical papers in scientific journals, magazines, and conference proceedings. Um, not only that, but he's attended and presented at conferences in the U.S. and uh, worldwide. Apart from these amazing achievements, uh, Sebastian is also a, a very active on social media, uh, on LinkedIn, and he can be found regularly. Welcome, Sebastian. Hey, Tim, how are you? Thank you very much for that introduction. Hi, Loki. How are you guys doing? Sebastian, it's great to have you. It's hey, great to be here. It's great just, to be here. Just from the start, when I hear your voice, I, I, I can hear an accent, and I'm sure that's not a Western Pennsylvania accent so it is a proud accent it is a proud accent I'm originally from from Colombia South America I was born and raised there uh, spent the first 20 years of my life there started my career did my undergrad there and then came to the United States you are a full-time practicing engineer but you also teach at the University of Pittsburgh that's like having two jobs what made <laughs> you decide to teach yes well I, I don't teach Let's say that I teach more as a hobby than, than really as a profession. Uh, I am not like a, a young professor at Peter or anything like that. I just happen to get a lot of invitations for a lot of classes and, and graduate seminars. And that, that's the reason that you see my involvement with Pete so much. Um, but it's really just through passion and through love for what we do. I mean, I think it's extremely important that the same way that we got great mentors before us that got us in our field, I think it's great to continue doing this, going to universities and, and, and do that. And obviously I, I literally live two blocks from University of Pittsburgh. So for me, it's, a, it's an easy walk, uh, you know, and, and, and it's great. I mean, it always feels great going back to the classes that you took and, and seeing the new generation. And, and I'll be lying to you if I don't say that I also use that as my recruiting techniques to keep getting people in, in our company and, and, you know, kind of keep up with with everything so yeah it's a it's a great symbiotic relationship and and it's great i always love everything about universities and graduate programs and, and things like that sebastian oh i'm sorry 
<laughs> go ahead, go ahead, Tim. I'll let you speak first. Well, what I was going to say is that in East Tennessee, we call Sebastian a gamer. He gets up every morning and he sounds like he's ready to do whatever, whether it's consulting, a teaching, a social influencer. <laughs> that is very true. And being close to university, you don't have to grow up at all. Yes. And you, right? And career, career fairs, free career fairs. Yes. And you teaching. can hit the local bars too, which have <laughs> great prices. And no, but it, it's kind of going back into what Tim said that is really the concept of being on all fronts. I think, uh, I mean, it's, it's the same. Obviously, Tim is a figure that I have been, you know, following for years and, and you know, he has done it all too. And it's the, it's basically the feeling of, you know, doing everything that the profession has. So it's the research, it's the teaching, it's the practitioner aspect of it, the practical projects, the committees, the being part of these professional societies. I mean, I think as a true geotech engineer, it brings you a lot of joy to be involved in everything and not just little parts. And, and I think that's really what common ground means, right? I mean, it's, we all like to interact in these DFI events. So we see all aspects of what we do and, and you know, we have the same. And the same with you, Lucky. Sorry, I, I kind of let you outside of my answer, but it's the same. I mean, your career speaks for itself. You know, you have been on all aspects also yeah. of all this. That's very true, that's very true. So knowing you from so many years, um, as Tim just mentioned, you're a social influencer, right? I've also I don't think so. But <laughs> <laughs> no, you are. And I've also learned that engineering runs in your family, right? So your dad was an engineer too. And how is that motivation motivational to you to do so much in the engineering community? I want to speak about that. Yes. So, well, I, I'll take as a compliment what you said as an influencer. I don't really consider anything like that. I just, I just happen to love too much what I do and just want to share it. You know, I mean, that's really where it all comes from. I mean, I just think that geotech engineering is the coolest thing in the world. And it eats me alive not to share it with others and, and try to show how awesome it is our profession. And you're right, everything really started from with my dad. I mean, I cannot talk about civil engineering without talking about my dad. Yeah, he, and actually my grandfather too. I come from a family that for the last like five generations has been engineer, civil engineer after civil engineer after civil engineer. Uh, but specifically on, on kind of what I do is, is mostly my dad. He studied civil engineering, started in Colombia, got a scholarship and went to Purdue University in Indiana, uh, did his bachelor and he went back to Colombia because he wanted to, you know, work and, and, and take Colombia kind of to a next level and, and develop his profession there. Um, so he went back to Colombia and, you know, basically I grew up spending all my weekends. He was a contractor, you know, he, he worked on highway construction mostly. So I, I spent all my weekends and summers and everything going with him to different construction sites uh, and, and really going to these beautiful new roads that he was doing and seeing these cuts on rock and soil and getting in love. That's the way that I kind of got in love with geotechnical engineering. So even though he was not doing geotechnical engineering, I was falling in love without knowing to those, to those aspects. And yeah, so, and, and, and really that's where the true passion of love. If you think that I'm passionate about what I do, clearly you have not seen my dad because he's the ultimate influencer and things like that. It's just that he doesn't have a platform, but, but he, he's truly a, somebody that loves engineering. And, 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 and I think he, more than engineering itself, he just loved being passionate on what he did. And I think that's the energy that I got from him. And that was the message that I really was, was picking up, which is what we do is not a profession. I mean, it's more than a profession. It's not a job that we do from eight to five and that's it. It's, it's a way of living and, and, you know, a lot of positive things. But yeah, definitely all comes from, from him. 
So kind of, I've heard the old adage that if you love what you do, you never work a day. I have never worked in that, in that respect. I have not worked a single day of, of my career. And, you know, and it, it has always been on, on, on pure passion. But I mean, and obviously I, I don't want to sound like naive, you know, I mean, obviously our profession and, and you guys know better than me that our profession, not every single day is rosy, but you always find this trend and, and you always learn from everything and, and you take the positive. So at the end, maybe that day doesn't look like it's that, that great, but always when you look it back, you learn and you move. It's a beautiful profession in that sense. That's awesome, Sebastian. But I, I want to change gears a little bit. Um, uh, uh, when we came up with this concept of looking at survivors of engineers and geoprofessionals where their projects went wrong, uh, you were on our team and you jumped up and said, I'd like to uh, volunteer to, to be first. And so uh, your project that you brought up was the Chirahara Bridge. Uh, am I saying that right? Yes, you are, which is amazing. Okay. Chirahara <laughs> Bridge. It, it, I read a little bit about it. It's an amazing structure. Uh, it is uh, in a rural part of Colombia. It is in extremely rugged terrain. It is, and you can imagine that it is a it's a cable-stayed bridge, about 1,500 feet in length. And in 2018, while it was under construction, it collapsed. At least, I believe it was the, was it the North Tower or South Tower? It was the, I think it's more like the West Tower, but it's, it's basically okay. Pier 2. We, we okay. call it Pier, pier 2. 2. Pier, it pier collapsed. It, it was like and the seconds of a structure. So. Pier nine pier. construction workers were instantly killed. Correct. And one later died of his injuries correct total of 10 but but the story here is that shortly thereafter or sometime thereafter you received a call uh to participate in a forensic study right yes 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 can you can you take us put us in your shoes you received the call it's your home country you heard about this collapse share us how your feelings were when you when you got that call yeah, sure. Yeah, I would love to do that. Um, yeah, so I mean, what happened is, as I said, you know, I did my bachelor in Colombia. Uh, then I came to the University of Pittsburgh, did my master's and PhD. And then after that, I, I, I don't know, I have more than 15, 20 years experience in all aspects in the States. I'm still connected to Colombia, but I did not really work in Colombia, you know, in the last 20 years. So I still go visiting family, you know, before COVID, I was going like maybe once, twice a year. Uh, when this happened, obviously, I have nothing to do on design. I did not know anyone on that team or anything like that related to that bridge. But I, I started getting a lot of text messages from, from friends that are in engineering and then friends that are not in engineering because it was all over the news and, you know, social media and everything. Uh, they have a very clear video that you can see the collapse and it's extremely impressive for any civil engineer. So my, my first reaction, I remember it, it was a very busy day. So when I saw the highlights, I was like, I'll deal with these later. And I just remember coming home, um, you know, taking care of, you know, my family, my son, my wife. And then when everyone was already sleeping, I sit down with my phone and it's like, okay, let's see really what this bridge is about. And, and I just remember being extremely sad uh, because, it's, it, you know, you knew that 10 people died, you know, so when you see a video of something collapsing and 10 people die, it's never a, a good feeling. Uh, but I also remember just thinking, 
you know, this is a tragedy for the country and, and, and I don't want to be on the shoes of the team or the people that are going to need to go and understand what happened. Uh, and I, at that night, it never even crossed my mind that 48 hours later, I'll be traveling to Colombia to be that person that I wow. never wanted to be. <laughs> so, so I didn't know the yes. time frame. We had not talked about this. It was, it was 48 hours since the collapse. Uh, that we commit, yes. That, so, you, that you got the call. Yes, exactly. So, so what happened is the bridge, uh, the bridge belongs to a kind of like a private public partnership, you know, a concessionaire, and let's call it that way. Uh, they were in charge of the project and they have a design build company basically designing and constructing the bridge for them. Uh, when this collapsed, the owner, you know, basically always to try to understand what happened. They reach out to 20 different companies around the world. Uh, one of them, it's a company that is called Majestic Masters, and we have worked in the past with them. I have done drill shafts with them. The foundation for this bridge was drill shafts. Uh, they know that I that I know a lot about drill shafts, drill shafts, probably not as much as you know, Tim, about drill shafts, but I do know a little bit. So, because I have learned from you. So they knew that I knew that, and they knew that I was from Colombia. So they thought it could be a good addition to the team. So they approached us with Adam Marov, which is the branch manager from our DC office. Uh, and they saw if we were interested in teaming with them to put a bid on this and we did. And then they passed that almost immediately. Um, and then the owners came back and I don't know, for whatever reason, they decided to, to use us. I think because it was a great team. I have to say because it was a great team. So they decided to go with us and the commitment was that we had 48 hours to, to mobilize after we got approved. So we did that and everything happened super fast. I mean, I, I remember just like being in the airport and texting my parents saying like, hey, I'm, I'm going to Colombia. <laughs> I'm coming, you know, I'm coming home, but I'm probably not going to be able to see you because we have a very... It, it, we have a very tight agenda. Um, you know, basically we we start going and, you know, we have to travel and we arrive at Bogota and those first 24 hours were super weird. I mean, like once we got approved on all this, it passed from being like a long shot because I always thought when we passed the proposal that it was a really long shot uh, to really become a reality. And, and when I say a long shot, it's, it's not that I'm doubting my capabilities. It's just because, you know, it, it's just a humongous project. And, and if you know that they're looking all over the world, you know, I, I have a good image of myself, but I'm definitely not the best. So, you know, somebody else could could step. But I just remember like thinking all this and going home. And it's it's probably one of the higher points of your career just to feel that you have this call. But at the same time, the fact that then 10 people died as a result of this, it's something that it stays on your mind every single second. So like if you even if you get excited about what you're gonna do, it always comes back, right? And sure. and at some point, I don't know, I I develop a I'm a big fan of the Colombian soccer team. And, you know, soccer has been always been my passion. And I think the way that I really start seeing it, like this is the same as if I got a call to play for the Colombian soccer team. I mean, it's basically whatever organization, whatever they are, they are trusting you to be the person that can help to do this. So, so once you embrace that feeling, it's an extremely professional feeling that is like, obviously this is not fun. I mean, the, I, I, I need to be professional above everything, right? And and sure. I'm just going to approach it that way. And, and I know it's big for my career, but I, I'm not going to enjoy it like right now. I just, I'm just going to do my work. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to respect these same families that, you know, this tragedy was the end of, of probably their parents, you know, or their, or their fathers, and it changed their life forever. So I took it like that. And then it's like going into a tunnel. I mean, it, 
it was very bizarre when we arrived to Bogota because, you know, they have people waiting for us and, you know, all kind of stuff. And, and we can talk about that later, but I mean, it was definitely not the way when I go back that my dad just picks me up on the airport. This was very different setup. Sure. Uh, you know, and when you, when you, when you think about expert cases, um, you know, there's a, there's kind of a bad rap on some experts that they're hired guns and they're really almost most emotionally detached. But I think I hear in your voice that that's far from where you were at. You were focused. You wanted to do your job. You wanted to be, you wanted to be acknowledged the seriousness and the, and treating the families of those that were killed with reverence. Uh, I mean, that's, I think that's, you know, a very high call from an engineer. Um, you know, something that when we get a call, uh, something we do just from a professional standpoint is we check to see if we have any conflicts. In other words, from, and usually we're really talking about business conflicts, like are we asked to be put in a, a, a position where we may uh, go counter to uh, a firm that, you know, we may be in business with. But in your case, you have this call and you're going down there to evaluate a project that is essentially, a, it's a Colombian project. Did you feel at all in conflict with, um, with perhaps that you're going to ask to be, to be asked to judge other Colombian engineers? And how did you come to, to rectify that? Yeah, I mean, that, that was tough because like during those 24 hours, when I start looking at things online, you know, I mean, there is so much stuff on YouTube. Uh, I ended up finding a, it was like a ceremony that they had right before the ridge collapse um, because they were very close to finish. They have the whole, the two piers completed and basically the deck was going, coming together. They were literally something like, I don't know, 30 feet away from just finishing. I heard 92 uh, feet away. Or 92, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. some, yeah, yeah. So 92 feet, like 30 meters probably. So they have a ceremony. They have the president of the country at that time. And he gave a speech and he said that this was a product of what Colombia could do because it was designed by Colombian engineers and constructed by Colombian engineers, monitored by Colombian engineers. It was definitely a, a symbol of proud for the country. And, and then all of a the sudden, this collapses and killed people. So the moment that you step into this, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously you feel that you're going to be, I mean, whatever you find, right, is going to affect someone on that mix. And the last thing that you want is to finish careers of people and stuff like that. Something very good on my, on my case is that at that point, my involvement with, let's say, with Colombian companies and things was none. So it's like, I really have no conflict, you know, of, of any kind, you know, and, and I have like the complete freedom of take a look from the point of view of saying, I'm looking this completely professional, right? And, and I'm just gonna give you my best judgment on, on everything that happened, which was great. I mean, I think that's the kind of expert witness that you need. Definitely, I def definitely, I agree with you. It's, it's not very simple, yet it's very, sim it's very complicated, mm -hmm. right? Uh, you know, you were just talking about how it is to uh, be born and raised in Colombia, move over so many thousands of miles away to United States, and then you go visit every year, you know, uh, but you're called for a different reason. Sure. You know, uh, being so active in DFI for me, like when I started working with DFI of India and, uh, you know, start going there for India conferences, it, it was so different, you know, uh, born and raised in India and going to India for a different cause, not to see my family, but 
educational, you know, uh, being an engineer. So um, when you, you you just shared a little bit about how the feeling was when you were going there and you're you're not going there, your family is not coming there to pick you up at the airport and you're going to meet with the high ranking government officials. And also, I remember you telling me a few years ago uh, that, you know, you even had bodyguards, right? So <laughs> that must be like, you know, celebrity moment. Yeah, oh yeah, um, absolutely. Right? Think, yes. Tell me about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when we arrive at the airport, they, they have the, you know, I mean, I never arrived to an airport in Colombia with someone with my name, right? I mean, that is super bizarre, especially because I speak the language and I know the culture. Uh, but yeah, when we arrived, they have these these guys with designs, very nice people. They took us in SUVs, like bulletproof SUVs with bodyguards and police, like, you know, around it. We arrived very late to Bogota. And then they took us immediately to a hotel, which is one of the fanciest hotels that you could imagine in Bogota. Uh, I, I just remember like sleeping in that hotel and thinking like, man, this makes no sense. Like, you know, spending this, you know, for, I mean, obviously they were paying for our expenses, but somebody paying for me to stay here when I can go and stay with my parents, you know, it, it sounds weird. <laughs> Uh, but no, I mean, it was, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. It, it's great to feel relevant. Nobody, you know, everyone likes to feel relevant and, and, and stuff like that. But as I said, for me, the joy, uh, I, I don't know. I think the level of professionalism that I was, you know, approaching it is like, I didn't enjoy any of that at that time. You know, I mean, it was extremely impressive, but my mind was not on that. I mean, my mind was at that point was reviewing stuff, you know, reviewing the local geologic resources and, and any publications that I had. Uh, so, yeah, but it, it was... It was very different feelings, I would say. Yeah, and and also like you know, uh, you're talking about not just uh, meeting the government officials, but also uh, reviewing the geology and also thinking about uh, engineers who have designed this, um, and you know the construction company that has been building this. Right, there are so many entities who are involved in this project. When you were Columbia on site, right. Um, it must have been interesting to observe how they all come together <laughs> or not so come together. Interesting. Probably, it's a good word. Right? It's a good word, Lucky. Uh, yes, I mean, from the, yeah, there, there were many players. And, and, and obviously, I, I not only did one trip, uh, for, for the next few weeks after I went the first time, we continuously went for different meetings with different people. Uh, some of those, the government officials, I have to say, they were, they were top in the sense, I mean, I ended up meeting the Minister of Transportation. I end up meeting the Director of Infrastructure. Uh, we have meetings on their offices until like midnight. They were completely into this. I mean, you have to keep in mind, this was the biggest news in Colombia for months, you know, I mean, the collapse of this. They wanted to be completely informed, uh, which impresses me a lot, like the level of professionalism that they also put. Uh, the Minister of Transportation at that time, he was a civil engineer. So it was very simple to talk to him. The Director of Infrastructure was not, he was an economist but he put a lot of effort on, on trying to understand what we were describing. So the local government that was great. I mean, I only have great things to say about them. They definitely did their job. Uh, the, the thing obviously gets more complicated when you start going into the concessionary and then you go into the design build company and the different subs they have. Uh, something that impressed me is that everyone was very open and very receptive to everything. Uh, we got full disclosure of the information since day one. Uh, they offer basically all the resources. They, you know, we went to the site with them the same, I mean, the next day that we arrived, uh, they went and visited the site with us. They, they clarified any, all the questions that, I, that we have. And, I, and I'm talking mostly on the geotech part, which is what I did, right? There is also like a whole structural aspect of it. 
on the geotech part, uh, they were super open. Um, I think this was on a Thursday. We spent the Friday, we went back and reviewed all the core boxes and everything. And, and again, all the information was presented to us. Uh, and then on Saturday, we even went and visited the, the offices of the design engineers for the geotech part. Uh, and we, won we went literally through the whole design with them. Uh, which obviously, I mean, every moment that you are there, you know, well, somebody's responsible, you know, I mean, because this failed for a reason. So somebody's responsible and needs to, and you know, the consequences, but everyone is open and everyone is transparent. And, and that's the moment that we realize this was a mistake. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is not like some deliberately thing that happened. It's not like somebody was bribed or, or you know, didn't put, which make it even more complicated because you know, the consequences obviously are gonna ruin the career of someone. And it's, it's going to be tough to, to determine that. Hey, so I want to go back one step and ask you uh, something about the bodyguards again. So, <laughs> so let me just ask you, Sebastian, you're married. You've told us before. Happy, Did you happy tell your happily married? <laughs> Did you tell your wife that you had bodyguards down there? Yeah, yeah, of course. I was like, I took selfies, man, and everything. I was. <laughs> what, I mean, what did you? What? What did? Did? What did she think about you putting yourself in harm's way by going down there? Uh, I mean, you have to understand that. Unfortunately, Colombia, growing up. I mean, she, my wife is from Colombia too, and you know, she also grew up there. She studies, you know, engineering also there. She came to the states at the same time that I came. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, team, growing up in the 90s, uh, it was a difficult time in Colombia. So we are used to more than bodyguards in, in some respect. I mean, it's, it, you know, probably these days is not that common. Fortunately, the country has, has changed a lot. But, uh, you know, I mean, there, there is a lot of like series like Narcos and, and things like that on Netflix. And <laughs> I mean, and it is the but, truth. You know, I mean, I, I, will, yeah. I, I, I hope I could deny it and say, no, it was nothing like that. But it is, I mean... Obviously, they put a lot of drama on those things, but the, the facts are the facts. And, and we cannot deny that Colombia was probably one of the most dangerous places in the 90s with all the drug deals and Pablo Escobar and all that. So we have to be realistic. And, 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 and that, that's the childhood that I have. I mean, either I like it or not. I mean, she, I was fortunate enough. But. but it sounds like she saw the importance of what you were going to do. And she also saw the importance of this task that you were being asked to do to you. Right. You felt like it was important. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, absolutely. She was she was super excited for me and she was very supportive. I mean, she has always been. She has always been the most supportive person in my whole career. And I cannot imagine my career and my life without her. We have been it takes for that, 20 right? Years. It takes that. I mean, we have been working. We have been working. No, we have been together, not working. We have been together for 20 years, uh, married for 14, but really together for 20. So, yeah, I mean, she she knew that I that I was, you know, that this was important for me. But she also knew that that they were going to take good care of us. Uh, I mean, to be honest, a lot of the bodyguards and stuff was more because of the press than anything else. I mean, the, the press was everywhere. And, and that's something that I'm not that used to, you know, to have that. Uh, and obviously, as you imagine, we have to sign all kinds of confidentiality agreements and the, the clients never really want us to speak with the press. Uh, I don't think even today the press knew that I was actually from Colombia. <laughs> so they probably thought that I was an American expert that I have no you know, no skills on Spanish, uh, which probably make it easier. But, you know, one of the feelings that you described that I, that for me was one of the most impressive ones was after the first day that we were on the field doing all this, I remember seeing the, the, all the photographers, you know, like, you know, th this is a new alignment that is next to an existing alignment. So everyone was on the existing alignment. 
taking picture of us and they even have like drones and you know cameras and stuff uh you know and, and i remember somebody mentioned like man we're gonna be all over the news tonight and and i just remember doing our work and all that then they took us to the hotel again in these suvs at 200 miles per hour with police on both sides we got to the hotel uh, and i just remember you know taking a, a shower and then going to bed and turning the tv and seeing the news and seeing myself there and that is the most bizarre feeling unless you are like a really super famous person sure you are not used to to that and then it's just watch the news and they are not talking explicitly of you but it's like you know you can see yourself and then obviously going on your phone after that and going to these channels and stuff and do, just do print screens of all the times that you appear and things like that wow i want to jump i want to jump in and ask uh, sebastian something uh, you were mentioning like how, uh, you know, Western world is so much used to watching Narcos and uh, uh, Pablo's stories mm -hmm. on TV and is Colombia's really like this? And you gave us a fact check, right? You gave it us was, a fact check. it was, it's yeah. not like that anymore. It's not like that anymore. But if you get a lot of the drama and the, the novel out, it was, I mean, the facts are the facts. Pablo Escobar is linked to, I don't know, it's like 4,000 killings, you know, in, in a period of less than 10 years. And I mean, that also makes Colombia the land of extremes. You know, Medellin was the most dangerous city in the world in 1993. Uh, you know, and today is probably one of the best cities in the world. Uh, I mean, there is a lot of money. I mean, this is a social, economical, and political problem that goes beyond this podcast. Wow. Uh, but you have a society that is getting all this influx of cash, you know, of the drugs, and it <laughs> percolated every level of society. So, yeah. yeah. And you're... Your dad, being an engineer at that era, right? At that era, um, we did not discuss one point about it. I remember you telling me the story the first time you met us. You know, we, we met each other. Um, so it was, you know, uh, your dad and you were kidnapped and held for ransom. That is uh, the true survivor. That, yeah. So yes. I, I, how right. old were you at that? I'm sure you want happened? to dig into this, so I'll 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 go into it. So yes, uh, I was not kidnapped. I was with him at the time of the kidnapping. Uh, he ended up being kidnapped for three months. Uh, it was one of these projects that I was telling you, you know, uh, before that it basically, he was doing this highway in, in, in the middle of the jungle of Colombia. It's a town that is very isolated. I mean, we're talking eight, 10 hours from Bogota, um, you know, and we used to go there. They were doing new alignment. So it's brand new alignment in literally in the middle of the jungle. Um, and they were having a meeting there. My dad was, I mean, he was the equivalent of the project manager. Uh, there was a resident engineer and there were other people that were, you know, on site, the surveying and, and everyone. We were having a meeting on a very, you know, like an, on an office at the top of a hill. And I mean, I like engineering since I was a kid. So I was trying to pay attention to what they were talking, but at some point it was becoming too complicated for me. So while they keep talking on this room with a window, I just remember going to the window and I saw what I think it's about between 30 and 50 people coming out of the jungle, all with like, you know, high automatic guns and completely covered. I was 11 years old at the time. So it's not what you expect to see when you're an 11 year old. Not at all. Not so at all. I immediately turned to my dad and say like, are those guards? And then my dad was like, he was still trying to say like, what are you talking about? And then they entered the room uh, and then immediately it's like everyone to the ground and, you know, pass the, the IDs. Uh, they, they were actually going for the resident engineer. I mean, the idea is that they were going to get, you know, get someone for ransom, but it was going to be the resident. And, and obviously for them, it was the luckiest day in, in their life because they got the project manager rather than the resident. Uh, they also saw that I was there and I'm sure it crossed their mind. 
I mean, can we take the son of the project manager? That maybe it's more money, right? Uh, but fortunately, I guess for me, they decided not to. So they basically gave us like five minutes just for me to say bye to my dad, which, I mean, it sucks. It really sucks. And, and when I look back, you know, and think what I have to go through is it's, I mean, it, it was a really hard moment at that time. Uh, however, my dad, it's a hero. I mean, he, he managed the situation. He calmed me down and said, everything is going to be fine. Uh, it's part of what we are. You know, I mean, if this is the country that we live and these things are happening. Let's hope for the best. And, and he always said, you know, let's hope that it's going to be short. And then they took him. And when they were taking him, I approached one of these guys. And I just remember because the guy was walking and I grabbed his shirt. And then he looked at me and put the gun and like, what do you want? And I said, when are you going to give my dad back? You know, I mean, and I remember he just looked at me and said, don't worry, kid. He will be back. Uh, we are doing this for the rest of the country, uh, which is a lie. But, you know, at that time, I was like, okay, I guess I'll, I'll try to believe it. Uh, yeah, then after that, they, they left. And it was, it was very complicated because they left. And we have to stay on this office for like about an hour uh, that we could not leave. And then after we were able to leave, uh, they took the only car that it was kind of there. So we have to take like a tractor to take us to a way that we found like a taxi that then took me to an airport. Uh, and then I end up taking the next flight from that city to Bogota. Uh, and at that time, obviously, we didn't have cell phones or anything. Um, yeah, but then, you know, we, we, end, we end up going back and I arrived Bogota the day that it was my mom's birthday. So imagine the bomb that I have as her birthday present. But oh, my God. Oh yeah, I mean, it, it was a tough situation at that time. Uh, one of the most clear memories that I have, it's that I think right after the kidnap, I fall asleep at some point in the plane or, or somewhere. And I just remember having a dream that on the dream, I thought that the kidnap was a dream, right? And then it was the feeling of waking up and saying it, it was not true, you know? And then I wake up like that on the dream. And then I wake up in reality. And for a second, it's like, I forgot. And then it's like, oh God, no. It is true, he's still kidnapped. So that part was extremely hard at the beginning. Uh, but then, you know, once I went back to Bogota, we got tremendous support from family and friends. Uh, the process started, it was communication with them. It was clear since the beginning they wanted money. The company that my dad was working, I guess at that time, ended up handling all that. Um, and yeah, I mean, basically long story short, he was kidnapped for three months. He was in the jungle of Colombia. Uh, always camping. He never stayed at one point, always walking in the middle of the jungle. He described it as one of the most craziest and interesting adventures of his life. I mean, at the end of the day, it's like he got an experience that nobody gets, you know, three months in the, in the jungles of Colombia, walking around. Uh, he said that he saw amazing waterfalls and all kinds of animals. Um, he, you know, he also, he, re he very quickly realized he was going to go crazy, you know, because it, it's, if he didn't do something. Because you have basically you are kidnapped, you are concerned. He was concerned about me. He had no idea what happened to me. Uh, so he kind of started just for sanity. He started just writing a, a diary. So he started writing a diary of day after day. He also realized that he needed to keep his mind on something. And he played chess as a kid. So he carved his own chess set, uh, you know, all the pieces. He thought he was with a group of about 10 guerrillas, you know, and basically he taught these guys how to play chess and he let them win at the beginning. So they were getting engaged into the game. Uh, and then he kind of like started making friendship with them and he started playing chess with them. And he described it as it was three amazing months of walks, you know, in the, in the jungle and chess games until late. 
Uh, I mean, my dad is a very wise person. And I guess the, the way that he saw it is, okay, so the people that he was dealing with, you know, and, and, and we have to be realistic to the reality that the country had at that time. These are people that, you know, was, they grew up in rural areas. They have no chance on life of anything. And, and most likely they were, they were forced to be on the FARC into the guerrilla group uh, because of, otherwise they were going to kill their parents. So these guys, they were not bad people or they are not bad people. I mean, I'm sure they are all alive still. So I never got like feelings against them. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they, they have nothing else in life, no other education to know what was better for them. They were extremely respectful to my dad. Uh, my dad always felt, you know, that he was treated with, with very human decency. Um, they, I mean, he's, he described that he made friendships in some respect. I don't know if you can make friendships on the situation, but he described as he did. Uh, you know, and, and, it, and it's a part of life. I mean, we have a happy story because, you know, he, he ended up being released and, uh, after three months. Unfortunately, this story that I'm telling you was not the only story. My dad has many friends that were civil engineers at that time, very similar, that they end up being killed on these kidnaps because something went wrong. The ransom money went wrong uh, and they, they end up being executed. So it is, it is chilling and, 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 and it's tough to think that, and, you know, it put my, my skin a little crazy right now, but, but it is what it was. And, and, and I mean, there is no point on denying it. And, you know, I, I never hold anything against the profession because of that. Sebastian, uh, your dad, that's amazing. He, what he gets, uh, he gets kidnapped. And it, during that time, he keeps a diary and carves chess pieces. I, that how uh, incredible, how incredible <laughs> it is. Okay. It is. I mean, he, he, uh. I think what he said is he realized very quick that the chance of going crazy was too much, right? And the only thing that he got is that, I don't know how much you know about like, you know, kidnapping, kidnapping. Uh, very little, I would say. So yeah, unfortunately <laughs> I got a PhD at an, at an age of 11, but the first thing that you get is like a survival proof. So the survival proof was that my dad got to ask questions to the family, right? And, and we need, oh no, sorry, we got to ask questions, right? So we say, we're gonna ask, we're gonna ask like personal questions and then he has to respond to them on a newspaper. And the newspaper has to have the date of, you know, that, that the answer. So we know that at that day he's alive, he's alive. And, and he's responding. So, you know, he did that. And it was one of the questions I, I did the question. And the moment that I did the question, I, I knew that when he read that question, he was gonna know that I was with my family. So I think the moment that, I, that he knew that I was back with my mom and, and my sister in Bogota, he felt like, okay, at this point, if we think damage control at this point, really what we are talking about is this is going to be money. It's going to be paying for me, for my freedom, but my family, it's okay. And I think at that point he realized he needed to get a state of mind to still be sharp and, and, and not go crazy and make the best out of the situation. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I always admire him and especially, especially at this age, because when I do some back calculation, I think my dad was about my age right now. And, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm a strong person, man, but if you put me through that, I don't know if I will have come the same way that he came out. And especially because he came out after this. And, and I mean, he, he was affected. Obviously, he was affected, you know. But I, I don't think it really changed many of his convictions. You know, I mean, he still believed in the country. He still believed on, on the profession. And, you know, he never took... I mean, I, I would say any other person could have gone 
very differently about this. But no doubt. It's just, no you know, it's, it. it's the time that we had to live on. And I mean, that's not our fault, right? So we tried to fix it and we tried to make a better country. That's, that's what he tried. I mean, after the kidnap, believe it or not, what the only thing he has tried is to make a better country. And even to these days, when we talk about politics and stuff, that's all he wants. Uh, that's... It, it, for me, the, after the kidnap, it was also a little scary because he always felt that the people that helped him on the kidnap, uh, he needed to help them. And the, the, the guy that actually ended up delivering the ransom money, he later on, a couple of years later, he ended up being, he was also a civil engineer, he ended up being kidnapped and he was one of the ones that ended up being killed during the kidnap. Uh, mm -hmm. My dad, I mean, I guess now it's safe because, you know, it's like 20 years, 30 years later, but my dad ended up negotiating also and helping a lot of other people, other civil engineers that were kidnapped. And that, that's oh, something wow. that, that's something at that time he never told me. And it's more like in recent times, you know, that he has opened up because he never knew us. He never wanted us to, to say, but yeah, I mean, of course, I mean, I admire my dad in many, many senses, but you know, this, what we are talking right now is like more than just a good engineer, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's heroic. He should be the one in this interview, not me. <laughs> well, well, you know, when, you know, you mentioned how you and your dad have such a special bond. And, you know, when I, when I think of projects that I've done, I, I set some importance to those that I would say are hometown jobs. And I think that's probably true in engineering. Contractors, they want their hometown jobs. Engineers want their hometown jobs. You got a call to go back to Columbia. How important would you put you know, this call up there in terms of, I know, I know Columbia is a whole country, but I mean, it's a prominent project and this is a very important role. Do you think that with this, you consider this kind of like a hometown job and, Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. And, and how does that, how did you, how did your relationship with you and your dad go when you walked back into that situation? Yeah, no, I mean, I think in, in that sense, it was, it was good. I mean, I know he expressed it many times, uh, you know, that for him was a, a great satisfaction because, you know, seeing that I was called and I mean, it, I mean, my dad has always been super supportive and it's, it's a big fan of what I do. But I think at that point for him was clear. He's like, you know, I mean, this is like a next level kind of thing because you, you are being brought to the country as an international expert, right? Uh, and it just, just happened that you are from Colombia, you know, and, and you happen to be my son. But, you know, it's, it, for him was very, very great. And, and, and he was part of that. I mean, I, you know, I share everything with him, you know, and, and even after the investigation, I was telling him what we were thinking. You know, I mean, obviously we have confidentiality agreements and, you know, my dad obviously is not going to breach any of that. I mean, he sure. knows that he can't. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I did talk everything with him and I mean, another interesting part is that my dad got a great career when he was in Colombia and many people that were involved on different parties of all these, you know, of all these things. And, and when I say in different parties, because even on different companies, the designer, the reviewer, uh, there are many people that actually work with him at some point. And, you know, when we start realizing those contacts, it was, it was great. And, and I think he many of those guys end up sending text messages and emails to him later and saying, man, it's amazing to interact with your son in that capacity. And, and, and most of them, to be honest, I didn't even met them before. You know, it's just that he worked with them when he was younger or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it made him extremely, extremely proud. And it was, it was great to make him part of the, you know, unofficially, I guess, make him part of the whole story and, and, and sharing so much with him. That, no, uh, that's, that, you hit it. You, I was thinking extremely proud. I, not to take a, away from the tragedy and the families, but 
for that you got called in in an engineering manner in such an important role. I got to believe that there was probably not a prouder dad in Colombia uh, that day. Yes. No, I, I, I think he was. And, and obviously my mother too. I think my mother was enjoying more the see me on the news than anything else, you know, just see my face and, and see all, all that stuff. And, you know, she was also having a lot of fun. The fact that, you know, they were not mentioning that I was, you know, I think the closest they got, because they obviously, you know, all the information was also restricted a little bit to the media, but at some point it leaks that we were from the States and the geotech was a company from Pittsburgh, but you know, I mean, that doesn't say anything, uh, but no, it was good. I mean, even my, my sister also was super proud. It, it was great on that sense. It's just, it's exactly what you say, Tim. It's like every time that you start kind of getting hype and excited with that, boom, then people die, you know, and, and, and you can never look the other way. So no doubt in the same sentence that we are saying that it was one of the proudest points for my dad, probably 10 kids lost their dad, right? And, and, it, and it changed their life forever. And if you want to link things, well, that's what could have happened to me when I was 11 and my dad was kidnapped. If I have lost my dad at that age, would I be here today telling you the story? Probably not. Yeah. So, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So when you link mm-hmm. and say, I have been so lucky that this happened the way that it happened. And when you know by a fact that that's not going to be the case for 10 families, it breaks your heart, right? And, and, and I struggle a lot dealing with all that, but it's, it's not my fault, right? I mean, it's not my fault. It, it was, I didn't do it. I'm, I'm coming and trying to do my best. And, and, I, and I'm truly, I feel obligated to these families to clarify the situation and whoever responsible to pay for what they did, right? Yeah. And, and, and obviously that takes you to the, next, to the next part, which is all the legal process that I was also part of it, all the litigation. Uh, and and it's, you have to be super professional. You cannot let anything influence you. You have to go with the science and you have to go with the facts. And when your time comes to go to the stand and present the evidence, you just present the evidence, you, you tell us you, you are, Obviously, the questions comes and it's in your opinion and you tell your opinion. And, and the same way that you are sympathetic with those families, you can never let that influence you and sure. start blaming the wrong person. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's, it, it brings your complete A game into just be the most professional person you can be and tell the truth as it was and, and basically leave matters and justice on the hands of others because you are not there to administer justice. You are just there to do your job and clarify the situation from an engineering point of view. And that that's is the excellent. end of your role. You, you nailed it. That's yeah. Sebastian, we're going to take a little break, but I love what you just said. You just said, we're not, we're not the whole process. Engineers aren't the whole process. We play our role. We focus in on that. And then there's a whole justice system behind that. Thank mm-hmm. you. Okay. Right. So we're going to take a quick break. Um, Uh, One of the features we hope to bring to our podcast as we grow and develop is an on-site commentary at DFI events, such as the annual conference, which this year is in Las Vegas from October 12th to October 15th. We'd like to introduce our DFI game day corresponding reporter. That's Chris Woods, who is in our uh, nation's capital, Washington, D.C. And if you don't know Chris, Chris uh, has a bachelor's degree from Purdue. He's got a master's degree in geotech engineering for Virginia Tech, and he's been in the industry for about 20 years. The first 13 years uh, was consulting with a large consultant on the eastern seaboard of the United States. Uh, He is now vice president with uh, densification. Uh, 
and he does projects all over the United States and beyond. Uh, Chris also volunteers uh, in the organizations. He's with in ASCE and Geo Institute. He serves on the Geostrata editorial board. He also is on the Soil Improvement Committee of the GI. Uh, Chris is also deeply involved in the DFI and the Geo Geoprofessional Business Association. And he also, if that's not enough, he teaches at George Mason University on their as their practitioner adjunct faculty. So without further ado, I'll introduce Chris. Woohoo! Welcome, Chris. Ah, uh, Tim, lucky. Thank you guys very much for having me. Um, it's I, I'm very humbled and appreciative of of being able to be involved in in such a I'll use the word fun because I think this is the fun side of our our business. Being able to you know kind of get involved with this undertaking with you guys uh, kicking off this podcast. Uh, Tim, as you mentioned, yeah, my, my role is, is going to be somewhat having to do with being a, a game day correspondent. I'm looking forward to kind of being set up in Vegas and kind of taking, taking things in as they go, getting the feel of, of what people are involved in there, what they're seeing, what their thoughts are, and just kind of, you know, enjoying being around people in a non-socially distanced capacity uh, in Vegas. That's probably about the best place we could be uh, to, to kick back off the in-person annual conference. Um, I, I'm sitting here and I'm somewhere between the word enjoy and in awe listening to this conversation with Sebastian. Uh, I think back to being, you know, that engineer fresh out of school and you kind of get thrown out on a drill rig and there's like a beautiful naivety that, that exists, right? Like, oh, I just got to classify these soils and put them in a jar, right? But <laughs> You don't, I, I think it takes a while in your career to develop that appreciation of the importance uh, of our roles as, as engineers and what that can mean. And, you know, Sebastian, you, you saw that firsthand with, with a failure of, of this magnitude that resulted in the loss of life. You know, a building settling a couple extra inches, floor slab cracks. Yes, there's, there's consequences, that sort of thing, but it's, it's not people's lives being lost, you know? Um, you know, me personally, I'm, I'm one that lets the, the stress of this industry uh, and construction get to me sometimes. Uh, anxiety, things of that nature, just, you know, it, it just gets the best of me sometimes. So, uh, you know, as I sit here and listen to you talk about this, I have to ask, like, how did you sort of put apart, put aside all these things and just concentrate on just the engineering aspect of it, right? Not there's the stress, there's like you said, all these different aspects of it. But at the end of the day, you're there in your role as an engineer to try and decipher some facts and come up with black, white, right, wrong, and, and just move forward. So that's the, the part to me that how, how did you just compartmentalize and, and focus on this? Excellent. Well, first of all, hi, Chris. How are you? I, How you doing? I hope everything is doing good. It's always awesome to see you. Uh, no, yeah, you are, you are right. And, and that's kind of what I was referring at the beginning, which is everything is like soccer, man. I mean, that's the way that I keep going back to the analogy because, uh, you know, I have always followed the Colombian national team and, and, and the soccer teams. And when you listen to the interviews of, of the biggest stars, they always describe um, 
almost to the point that sometimes you, they don't even enjoy playing for the national team because the responsibility is so high, the weight of what you are doing is so high uh, that, you know, that you cannot do it, that you have to focus and, and, and things like that. So really the approach that I have was that. It, it, like I needed to, you know, I mean, I needed to give it the best that I had from the engineering point of view and concentrate on that and try to block a lot of the other feelings. Uh, as we express and we explore before with Tim and, and Loki, there is a lot of feelings of, of you know, joy or, or gratitude or proud, you know, on, on, on things. You, you know that you are reaching a point on your career, you know. Uh, there is also feelings of, you know, the tragedy that it represents, but that's not what we're not here for, right? I mean, no, nobody cares what we feel. I mean, we're here to just do our job and tell what happened. So I, I will say that, that that was my approach. And, and, and I honestly, when I look back, that has been now three years. It's some of the best engineering that I have done, like the job that I did there in the sense of truly engineering, truly understanding of the problem and analyzing it with different ways. Uh, as you can imagine, and, and obviously I cannot enter into a lot of details of the project and, and tools, but obviously a project of this size that is a lot of, of, of modeling and a lot of final elements and a lot of that, but uh, are you gonna be able to determine a big mistake like this just with final elements and doing a model? Yeah, you probably can, but you really need to go back to basic physics, in my opinion, to statics and, and analyze things and, you know, go back to your fundamentals. And I think that's what I did. I mean, and, and it's a shame that I can never share that report with anyone because I think some of my best job is there, you know, and right. trying to see the fundamental things and trying to put like hypothetical scenarios. Uh, obviously, we also have the final elements. Obviously, we also have the advanced PY. I mean, everything, you know, we did everything. But at the end of the day, for me, it comes down to the engineering part of saying, I am, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm taking this from Dimitris, from Deepex, that he said, we are not, I mean, you don't want to be an analyst, you want to be an engineer. And that's exactly the way that I approach it. You don't want to be a guy just running a program and saying, yeah, this and that. No, I mean, you need to understand and feel what this is about. And, and that's what I did. I mean, for, you know, our, our, hey, and I just realized that, that it lasted about the same as my dad's kidnap, three months. And it went also from January to April. <laughs> so, but anyway, <laughs> big coincidence, 30, you know, 30 years later, but, I approach it like that. I completely submerged on this project for three months and I was running all kinds of calcs and computations and, and you know, sensitivity things. And, and basically on those three months, it was extremely stressful, but extremely enjoyable from the scientific point of view. Uh, I mean, I got a lot of access to many information during construction. Uh, I mean, Tim knows this better than anyone. And, and, you know, when you are doing forensic work, it's like, it's all about going back to every single piece of evidence or every single piece of information and read all the emails, uh, read all the comments that were done during the review, who reviewed it, what was brought to the table, what concerns were expressed. Uh, you know, obviously you also have to listen from, from everyone that was involved in construction, the people doing construction, the people doing that. So as you imagine, it's hours of interviews with people and, and narrative. And at the end of the day, it just goes back to the basic principle of saying, I want to solve an engineering problem. I mean, that's what I want to do at the end. I know the outcome, right? I mean, factor of safety less than one, it collapsed. <laughs> so, right. you know, right. where exactly was that? That so so it was uh, from an engineering point of view, it was extremely extremely enjoyable. You know, because from the science, you know, from the science and the engineering, it's I mean, you basically got a humongous low test, and, and and we call it failure, right? Because it collapsed and killed people, but it's not failure. I mean, just look, it's the result of a lab. It's, it's, it's a gigantic lab test. So now you have the proof of what it failed and what it failed. You just need to find it. Right. And I'm sure, 
there was a lot of different uh, reasons and thoughts behind why that factor of safety became less than one that you had to sift through for sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, I remember that, you know, even just, I mean, obviously I, I have been doing forensics before. This was not my first forensic job of any kind. I mean, obviously it's the first international one to that size. Uh, but, you know, even from the stuff that I have seen before and, and different claims and things that I have been involved, it's always a detective job, you know, try to start going back. And, and you know, and, and one of the things that I always hear, uh, even from great, you know, like, let's say Jim Collin and Tim Stark and, you know, all the knowledge that they have on all the forensic stuff that they have done is you can never close yourself into one theory. If you box yourself into one, then you're going to go the wrong way. Like you have to start with the spectrum, you know, and then it's like anything that makes sense in your mind that could be a theory, you have to assume it that is possible, right? And then the job really is to go and start discard this, discard that, discard that. Uh, something very positive in this project is that they have a lot of instrumentation. They have a lot of geotechnical instrumentation. Um, so as you imagine, when you go back into the instrumentation and you see with time, the different behavior and all that, the picture becomes very clear, you know, and then the process sure. of simplifying. So again, I cannot disclose much, but it didn't really take me more than a week. I, I don't know, man, it's probably a week or less to, to know what the geotech was part of it. You know, I mean, yeah. I cannot tell you if it was geotech or not, but the only sure. thing that I can tell you sure. is that I, I knew pretty quick what the geotech role was, you know, and, and, and obviously, I mean, that brings satisfaction too, right? When you are able to solve the puzzle, you know, and see the pieces mm -hmm. and say, boom, this is it, it's right here. Well, or he's not here or whatever. Yeah, right. Well, look, man, it's it's always good to see you. I appreciate you letting me drop in. I'm gonna I'm gonna turn things back over to Tim and Lucky here. Uh, I'm looking forward to you know getting at a blackjack table with all you guys in October. Absolutely, um, I'll be there, man. Excellent. Well, man, keep 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 up the good work. It's fantastic to listen to you, and and I'm looking forward to seeing you soon. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you, Chris. Right. Thanks, thank Chris. Chris. See you soon. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. On behalf of DFI, we hope you've enjoyed this presentation. The views, information, or opinions expressed during Deep Foundation Institute's podcasts are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of DFI, the Board of Trustees, members, or employees. DFI is not responsible and does not verify the accuracy of the information contained, nor does it warrant that the information contained herein is suitable for any general or specific use. The podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. Editing, modification, or redistribution of this podcast is prohibited. If you have any concerns or questions, please feel free to reach out to us at podcast at dfi.org. Thanks very much for your time. Keep on surviving.